I think we finally have a few weeks in a row that we're going to be recording. <laughs> Except for last week. That was a, uh, that was different. Right. No, I mean like starting now. <laughs> starting now. Yeah. Like the holidays or something. We, we've got this. We right? do. I mean, like there should be no reason why I can't hop on for six weeks now at all. Awesome. I'm so excited for you that you get to be on paternity leave. I know. Like it came at a perfect time for me. Um, and I would say just a year ago, we didn't even have paternity leave for, um, as an option for, um, adoptions. So this is awesome. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. Well, for those who are listening and don't know, I'm Dr. Megan. (laughs) And I'm Joe Smith. And we are the Do Better Podcast. We've started a new format where we are going to just pick a random topic and talk about it for a little bit on Tuesdays at 12 live. And then um, we hope people will join us in the conversation. Otherwise, you can just check out the podcast episode. So we are streaming this live on Facebook right now. Um, And if anyone who's watching us would like to, put in the comments, any topics you want to see on our wheel for future episodes, please feel free to let us know. Right now, our wheel topics are coaching, soft skills, alternatives to escape extinction, uh, favorite topic in the field right now, content creators that are not behavior analysts that inform your practice. So that's what we got going for right now. And each week we'll add new topics based on either things that we talk about or suggestions that people make. So please let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. Are you ready for me to spin the wheel, Joe? Let's spin that wheel. Okay, let's see. Oh, we were so close to the content creators one. I know that's the one looking forward to. All right. So our topic today is favorite topic in the field right now. Ooh. Do you have something you want to go with, Joe, or do you want me to go first? I want to see what you pull out first, but I know uh, I have what I am passionate and in love right now, but I want to see what you pull out. Okay. <laughs> Oh, it's so hard to choose just one topic. And of course, anyone who's listening right now that wants to comment will will shout yours out too. So please feel free to comment and let us know what your favorite topic is in the field right now. I think for me, it's it's probably maybe never going to change. It's <laughs> <laughs> the whole reason I exist as Dr. Do Better and the Do Better movement and everything. But it is, I mean, it's really just continuing to look at it. What I'm most excited about right now is there's a lot more energy and movement Mm -hmm. around this idea of how we can be better practitioners as behavior analysts, how we can be more neurodiversity affirming, more trauma informed, and really approach the work that we're doing with the idea that the human comes first. And how do we do that? And of course, I will extremely celebrate the day when the task list is fully updated to reflect that we are a human services field and we get the same some of the same types of things in our 
coursework expectations that you would see in social work, counseling, psychology, other human service related fields. For now, I'll take the grassroots movement and I'll take being able to follow so many incredible behavior analysts who are on their own seeking out better ways of practicing and really modeling for people how we take this science that we love so much that we know is so effective and use it in a way that helps people hack their environments as originally intended by Skinner. And instead of trying to hack people, like really getting mm -hmm. back to that original place where we can just focus on creating environments that work for the people that we're serving instead of trying to make them work for the environments that they're in. So I'm really excited to see all of the you know newer folks who are talking about that and some of the seasoned folks who have started to put out content on that as well. And of course, I think it was just recently over the summer, Behavior Analysis and Practice had a special edition on compassionate practice and you know what that means and what that looks like. And there's a variety of articles that have come out. And it seems every few weeks, I see people posting journal articles too. So it's not just people talking about it, but there's also people publishing and writing about how we can incorporate better practices within our field that are more aligned with 2023 and really <laughs> focusing again on the human aspect of what we do. I love that, Megan. And yeah, I just pick it back off you. Like, yeah, I mean, I was going to take the, the approach of more, uh, I'm loving like the topic of even PFA, SBT, just that, um, just that specific avenue. But I love the fact that you even made it broader and said that just our, our field in general is working towards being better. So yeah, I mean, I love the fact that as a field, we are learning more about what's the best, I mean, like trauma-informed care. We're learning more about compassionate uh, practices, which I love. I love us talking about that and becoming better informed practitioners and how we can help our um, clients, our families um, do better and also how we can be better practitioners, um, whether you're with a big company or you're just on your own. Um, I just love the where we're going as a field right now with that as well. Um, is there anything specific uh, um, in this like do better movement that you're really excited about that's newer or? <laughs> well, there's, a, there's quite a few things that I've been working on for years that it looks like I'm finally going to have time to put down on paper, you know, that's lived inside of my brain or I've had various versions of it. And I haven't, you know, fully figured out how to disseminate or put it out to people in a way that would make sense outside of my brain. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so one of those things it, that I have conceptualized for a while now, and I have various versions of it is having more guidelines around assessment and how we mm -hmm. can engage in assessment from a strength-based focus and a person-centered focus instead of a deficit model and synthesize, especially for autism specifically, the research that's been coming out around the importance of active engagement and social communication skills and really pull that in as our primary focus for the assessment instead of the laundry list of skills that you would see in the VB map or things like that. 
And then as part of that, I've also been focusing on conceptualizing what our service delivery should look like that I've experienced. And you probably have what with the training I provided when you were with navigation and, and the folks there for years, again, I've always had an approach to providing services that first focuses on developing a strong connection with the learner and then mm-hmm. going into more, you know, whatever other skills might need to be addressed. So I've been trying to work on formulating that into, um, again, a process that's a little bit easier to disseminate and for people to digest and maybe replicate for themselves instead of having to have me there to coach them through it. So those two things I'm hoping will be out at some point in the near future. I'm just, it's finding the time it's again, I wish it was so funny. I was talking yesterday to one of my friends and he was like, won't it be cool if someday there's an AI and it's just like part of you and it just transcribes all of your memories and brain, like all of your experiences. And it's just there and you can look at it whenever you want. And I was like, oh, I wish that existed right now. I wish I could just put something on my head <laughs> and all the thoughts that are happening that like, I don't have time to sit down and do something with could just <laughs> go out onto paper and I could just be like, here you guys go. Here's all the things. <laughs> You know what would be interesting is just to even play with like chat. Is it is chat chat GP or yeah, just yeah. even taking some of your thoughts and put it in there and just see what it spits out. I it would be just fascinating just to see um, what happens. Um, because yeah, I, I mean like I have things that I'm thinking of, but like I either have to write it down or like it takes so much more time just to like for me, like if I'm going to think about something and to make a, and to like make it, I mean, like just make a program or something like I have to write out, like, you know, those old movies where you have someone with this massive whiteboard and you write down everything. <laughs> That's me. Like I had got to like, con- like visually see everything to see, map it out um but yeah so that brings up a good point too it's like i would love to see how maybe uh just our field can utilize ai in a way to benefit the learner i think that'd be a really cool avenue to go down yes as well i put that down i already wrote it on my notes thing to add to the wheel as a topic for a future discussion so you start researching ai a bit joe so you're ready for that one <laughs> you know i think there's a couple um behavior analysts that are in our field that are also in the avenue of like using like working on like computer software and learning how to program and code which i think would be they would be really um, beneficial to pull into. But yeah, I would love to learn like learn more about AI because I feel it's like one of those new technologies that are coming in that uh, has a lot of power, but no one knows how to use effectively at all. There's definitely some folks, yeah. And if we get it as our wheel topic, I can go into more detail, but I know Beth um, yep, over Beth. with Operant Coffee, she has she's doing her PhD in it right now. So I'm super excited to see what happens there with her and where she goes with it. But I know there's definitely a few behavior analysts who've been playing around. I sort of have dabbled. So there's some things I can share when that comes up as a wheel topic. (laughs) Yes. 
super excited. I love technology. I love infusing technology with our science and then um, using it for our benefits. So like that's like any that's where I get really geeky and I love I love infusing both of them. Yeah. So I'm like, cause we haven't, we haven't uh, been talking for too long yet. I know we're trying to keep these a little bit shorter. I was thinking about when you were talking, Joe, it wasn't really based on anything you were, I said, it was just my stream of thought in terms of favorite topics in the field right now and better practices and being more humane and all of that kind of stuff. One thing that I found kind of interesting recently is the BACB's newsletter for September. Have you read it? No, I downloaded it. I have six weeks, so I have to actually read it now. But so no, one I, of, one yeah, of the things that's in there, and I think this, again, could probably be a future discussion as well, but I, I'm talking about it right now because I've seen a few people posting about it and it's kind of a hot topic right now. One of the things that was in the newsletter was basically like a little reminder to people that the BACB cannot do anything against certificates relating to free speech. And I personally found that very interesting if you think about the code and some of the aspects of the code that seem to encourage our ways of engagement and things we say. And I know they made adjustments to the code, you know, from the newest version doesn't have some of the same stuff as the code before it did around public statements and things like that. They adjusted that likely for that reason. And of course I should say right now, this is my opinion and only my opinion. This does not represent the views of the BACB or any other entity that exists in our field or that I'm affiliated with. But one of the things that was really um, difficult for me about seeing that was thinking back to, for those who've been around for a while, you may or may not know, the 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 case I had to go through in 2020, when I, mm-hmm. that is exactly what I had to deal with was, and it wasn't even my speech, it was that I wouldn't delete comments of others speaking mm-hmm. about behavior analysis in a group that I was an admin on in a group where we had a rule that we didn't delete comments. And I, I put a lot of effort in to creating a safe space for people to engage in open and curious conversation. And I had to deal with responding to that and having my response due on Christmas day, very stressful experience. So yes. I find it kind of odd that I was dealing with that around what was being said about behavior analysis and the timing of this newsletter is in re- what seems to be in response to some individuals have been making comments about the clients we serve in a not very nice way and a very not not what i would be excited about in terms of moving our field forward and being more humane and all of those kinds of things so it almost feels like and i know this isn't the intent i just hope like as part of this moving forward and doing better and being able to to take human, uh, how we're interacting with humans into account and how we're holding our clients as humans and not data points. It, yeah. There would be some consideration given to the message it sends when I had to deal with a response to an ethical complaint because I wouldn't delete comments from neurodiversity self-advocates and mm-hmm a behavior analyst says negative things about disability 
and we're told, oh, well, free speech. Yeah. Like to me, that's a that's a big issue that it's going to be really hard to continue to move our field forward and demonstrate that we are more than, you know, ro cold robotic scientists, that we care greatly about our clients and we value their human experience. It's going to be really hard to do that when we have a situation where people who align with neurodiversity self-advocates are at risk and dealing with stressful things and people who align with the science and the field in a way where they say negative things about others are not at risk. Mm -hmm. From a free speech standpoint, obviously no one should be at risk necessarily, but I do wonder like where things are going to go in terms of, I feel like in a lot of other human services fields, there's a way to work around that free speech part of it and they, and like just have some basic um, decorum around how someone would be expected to behave in the service of the clients, right? Like there's certain things yeah. you can say or not say. <laughs> if you're like, almost, I feel like we need to have a screener that's like, do you have these beliefs about disability? If so, this field is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah, how are they going to, you know, handle cases with free speech, but also recognize that, like, you can't allow hate speech either. Yes. And yes. And that's going to just be interesting to see um, because that can get to a slippery slope, too, is like, well, you're saying free speech. Well, I'm just saying free speech. It's the same thing as uh, the all the different debates on like x or twitter or facebook like like what would be a what should be approved what should be because then that gets a that gets a slippery slope because then like who's who can really tell you like what's okay and what not okay yeah 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 and and i think from like the hate speech standpoint there could be arguments made that that's not the role necessarily of the BACB, that that would be more something, you know, federal, state, local, depending on where, where it occurred and how it happened. And I get that, like the BACB can't be responsible mm -hmm. for uh, policing everything. However, mm -hmm. I also like when you think about the ethics code and the aspects of the ethics code, especially the newer parts around being aware of our biases and engaging in cultural humility and those types of things. How do, how do both exist? How do we help encourage people to engage in conversation and discussion about whatever topics in a way that is supportive of cultural humility and checking your biases and all of those types of things? Um, without giving some sort of input on your speech and what you're saying, like there's, there's, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, so I don't know, I haven't, I haven't done a lot to dive in on how other fields that have had, you know, there, it's not like this is a unique issue to behavior analysis, but no. there's definitely fields where, especially, you know, the larger field of psychology, counseling, social work, I'm sure they've encountered these issues as well and have people with differing, you know, political and religious beliefs and, and just learning histories that may say things that wouldn't necessarily align with the field broadly. Um, and I'm just really curious about that, you know, where, where it's going to go and if it's going to align with 
the push we're seeing by practitioner, a lot of practitioners to be more neurodiversity affirming and trauma-informed, to have that really come to life fully, there's going to need to be some sort of training and oversight around how we talk about the people we serve. Yes. Yeah. You know what? So that'd be a good conversation that even just for my wife and I to have, just because she's in a social work field, how do they go about it? Because they, because that's a real topic that she has to deal with in her field. Yep. And they have been more established longer than our field has. Yeah. Well, it makes me think about, you know, in the code, the section on not discriminating. So I find it hard to believe if someone's making public statements that sound discriminatory or biased or prejudiced or whatever. And this is something I've seen happen with multiple people in our field for many, many, many years. Sometimes the people might say, oh, I was just making a joke. Sometimes they're serious. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you're not really sure which is happening. How how it would be the case that someone could talk in that way and provide services in a way that's non-discriminatory. I don't think you can separate the two. I, if you're saying things in a public forum that are potentially very harmful towards other groups, then you just magically walk into session and you're a non-biased person. <laughs> you don't have, you don't think those things when you're interacting with your clients. Like, I don't understand how that would be the case. Like they seem to go hand in hand. So again, that brings it back to, I understand free speech. However, there's, there's some dots that could be connected around if people are saying these certain things and then working with clients, how are they engaging in a non-discriminatory way if the things they say in the public realm are discriminatory? Exactly. I don't know. I, I guess time will tell, right? Yes. Uh, Hopefully faster than <laughs> faster than than uh than it has in the past. I think we're in this this space right now where things are pushing forward quicker than they ever have before. So I hope I think I one of the things we could potentially do um in a future episode, and I'll put this down as like a separate topic with AI. Yeah. We could play with chat GPT live and uh, look at some of these types of things. Like what, what does social work do for this type of thing? You know what I mean? Like some of these things where it's like fields yeah. that have been around for longer, ask it a question, you know, in the field of behavior analysis, what happens for X? And then in the field of social work, in the field yeah. of, and just kind of see what the differences are. I think that would be really interesting. I've already played with it and asking it to explain certain things. And I'll say, explain this concept to me, you are a behavior analyst, explain this concept to me versus you are a behavior scientist, explain this concept to me. And the difference is pretty interesting that when it's a behavior analyst explaining it, which I think is wild, it's colder and more robotic and there's less emotional aspects involved. It's less personable. And when Mm -hmm. I've asked it to explain it as a behavior scientist, which usually you would think scientists would be colder, there's a lot more, um, personability and it, and it's it's incorporating a lot more facets of the human experience instead of the typical like you know abc type of conversation it's it's taking into account emotions and physiological and <laughs> neurological aspects of things it's really wild to see that difference when they're like for a lot of people it should it should be the same thing we're both we both study behavior and how yeah how human behavior occurs. 
So I think that's, that's interesting. interesting. That the information it's pulling from <laughs> sets two entirely different tones, depending on whether you say analyst or scientist. That is interesting. And like, it, it, it's interesting too. It's like, how do you know that what is pulling is like accurate though? That, that's the thing that's like, I'm still trying to figure too. Right. Like, how yeah, does it analyze? There's been cases that I've seen or talked to other behavior analysts about where they'll ask, you know, just for fun and it'll reference articles and then they go to look up the articles and those articles don't actually exist. So there's definitely <laughs> a lot that's going to need to come out around like the ethics of AI and making sure mm -hmm. if people are using it, that it's being done in a way that is with critical thinking skills, not just yeah. plug and play. <laughs> Well, maybe even like a tutorial on how it can be used in a way, like or like guidelines on what's 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 okay, like how to use it. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. See, yep. we went from like compassionate to like AI <laughs> as a favorite topic. Oh, I have a whole separate thing. I could put that down as a topic too. Right now, I am very much in the. I would like hold one of those signs that says "Change my mind." An AI <laughs> therapist is better than a human therapist, not for direct service intervention. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like someone to talk to and help you work through life's problems. I'm all the way AI with that right now. So okay. I, I'll add that as a topic we can discuss as well. <laughs> we'll have three different AI topics. It'll be fun. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it, it would be interesting to see if AI can have any bias. Like if, if you can, like if it has, or is it just straight facts? Right. I you know. know it, yeah. I think I part know. of that depends on how the AI is, is trained. Um, and at mm -hmm. which I don't know as much about right now. I do know that I have, again, with playing around with things, I've tried telling it, you know, certain things and it's like, no, I'm not that thing. <laughs> so like <laughs> the way that chat GPT, at least for chat GPT has been built, if you try to, you know, get it to do something that could go down a route that would be potentially harmful it doesn't really like it's like nope I don't do that <laughs> so like I you know if I had a question where I'm like wanting it to give me legal advice or something like that it'll tell you nope I'm not a lawyer I can you know give you these suggestions of things to look at or whatever um, and there's people who've come up with ways to prompt that you'll get the information you're looking for but it, there are definitely some good safe, it seems like there's some good safeguards in place. And I know I haven't ever tried it. I just know from mm -hmm. stories I've seen that there are people who've like played around with trying to put in different things that might be like racial or prejudice or bias in certain different ways. And it maintains its objectivity. It's like, nope, I don't do that. So um, hopefully that kind of thing will stay. But I would imagine over time with technology changing that people will have workarounds for that. And we might at some point see like how we have different news. Yeah. Me media companies where it's clear that they're conservative or liberal or whatever, you might have different AI products out there where it's like, oh, <laughs> this one has been trained to be more liberal or this one's been trained to be more conservative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I could have set down a deep plot rabbit hole. But it reminds me right now of like Robocop. Yeah. How there's a strict pro program and like, hey, I can't do anything. It goes against my orders. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so much coming. Like, okay. 
We're, yeah, so, we're almost like, yeah, go ahead. We're, we're at the 30 minute mark. We're trying to keep it short. Um, uh, is there anything else you want to say about favorite top, the favorite topic topic that was <laughs> I always feel like uh, it, it will continue to evolve as, you know, we evolve, but yeah. I feel like, I feel like, um, you know, what would be interesting to see if it changes in like six weeks for me after like having some time just to dive through some stuff, it'd be interesting to see, but. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, and it's moving so quickly too. It's wild, but all right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us live. If you're listening to this as the actual podcast episode, feel free to leave us a comment with any topics you want us to add to the wheel. And we'll see everyone here next week, Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern for another recording. Yes. Yeah. And if there's any comments that you have about AI or what we talked about today, and you're on Facebook, definitely leave a message on Facebook for us. Bye, everybody. All right. Bye.